Kelsey Skoke, thank you so much for coming to uh, EWTN and for doing the interview on Life on the Rock. Uh, as we were talking about on the show, and this is a, a sacred uh, topic, whenever we talk about the gift of human sexuality, uh, when, especially when I'm in the confessional and people start opening up their conscience regarding this issue, um, I really do almost, I envision like Moses and, and the burning bush Mm -hmm. and how God revealed his name mm -hmm. and how Moses took off his shoes and that ground is sacred. Um, so we treat this time with, with great, I think, reverence um, and awe and the people that are listening to, to know um, that uh, I think you pray for all, all different types of people um, that come to you and, with, and share their hearts for sure. and open up their hearts. Um, what would you like to share uh, with our audience concerning your book that you wrote, um, that you wrote, uh, Uncompromising Purity? It's not just a guy problem. I think that says it all. <laughs> it's not just a guy problem because I think many people in our culture today would say, oh, it's just a guy problem. Girls don't really struggle with this. Right. Um, do they? And are, are there uh, typically, are, do, do more younger girls struggle um, with pornography and masturbation addiction, or do they kind of forget about it or does it go away as they get older? Mm -hmm. Maybe talk about some of it from your experience. Yeah, I think we're at an interesting time in our world really where you have the advent of the internet now met with just accessibility and, and, and technology in your hands, in your pocket. I mean, we've never seen this before, but we've got elementary school kids going home with tablets, right? So from their schools. So almost everyone now has an an individual computer with access to the internet 24 seven. Um, and there's lots of, you know, blocks you can have and everything else, but accessibility right now to content is just alive and well. And then you have to look at what type of content is, is out there. And I think by and large, the over-sexualized nature of our culture is, is everywhere. And, and it really, there's no way to avoid it anymore. And so if you look at men and women and their struggles, there really isn't a gender divide. Men and women are exposed to the same over-sexualized content and they are susceptible the same to, to sexual desires and then falling into this distortion of true love through pornography and through masturbation. And so I think we are seeing a generational shift of maybe 30 years ago when you would have to go into a video store, X-rated, whatever, yeah. to have access to it that's no longer the case. It's a lot more hidden, a lot more available. You're walking around with a, you know, X-rated movie, movie machine in your pocket. 100%. Um, and, and accidentally you can be exposed yeah, to it. Accidentally. It, it could just, I remember in school just typing Google incorrectly into the search bar and something came up and that was at a, at a school where they had the blocks, but yeah. it still made it through. Well, somebody that I know, um, walked into uh, their grandchild's room and the father had just bought their their uh, daughter a tablet mm. and she walked into the room and all of a sudden she closed the tablet yeah she was 11 years old and she said you know right away she, she started crying mm. and she said grandmother i've sinned against god mm. 11 years old sinned against God. Now, now, the grandmother went through the history and thank God it wasn't a prolonged um, period of time that the 
that the young girl was looking at um, pornography. But it all started with the little girl typing in kiss. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little girl right. innocently hearing the word kiss. She probably hears that word a lot. Right. You know? But she typed the word kiss in. And Mommy and daddy what, kiss each other. Yeah, what started to come up yeah. on the screen, mm-hmm. you know, was vile pictures and vile pornography in, in this child. And it, and it scarred her. Yes. And that's what I wanted to say. It, it, it scarred her. It, it left an impression upon this young child's mind. And what, what might you say to, to people to deal with that type of um, damage? Well, I think there's a lot of things. I think a lot of conversation needs to be happening in the home. I think a lot of parents need to be talking to their children about what is available on the internet. I mean, there's books called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. There's other resources out there for parents to really have these conversations with their children. Honestly, at a much younger age than most likely likely the parent feels comfortable with. Because even if a parent thinks, well, not my child, not my computer, I've got all the blocks... If they're talking to anyone their age and their peer group anywhere away from you at any portion of time, mm. there's the exposure or the potential of exposure for those conversations. And that, that might be hard to hear, but I'm I'm working with so many women who who that was the case, that they had a very sheltered upbringing, but they were mm. still exposed. Um, and so, so to, to not think that this is the exception to the rule, mm. but to realize that it is everywhere. And so to arm ourselves with those conversational tools so that when, you know, something like that happens to your son or daughter, that you can have a, a really good conversation about, okay, I'm so sorry that, that you mm. saw that. Let's talk about it. What did you see? What, what did it bring up? Like what, what was going on when you saw it? What was your emotions? You know, we talk a lot with, about emotions with little kids. We can yes. talk about that there. Did you, you know, what was your response? What was your reaction? And then talk about the sacredness, mm-hmm. the importance of, of this thing that, that sexuality is good and talk about it from a good standpoint. However, what we're seeing, you know, on a screen or if we're seeing anything in print, something that's essentially artificial and they, they know what that is, fake versus real. Yeah. And we can say that is that is a distortion. That is that is fake. Yes. And and because it's fake, it is harmful to us. And I think tr- talking in those simple terms to try and help them develop their conscience. Because while that that little girl was scarred in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, if if the grandmother hadn't come in as soon as she did, or you know, she might have been scarred in one moment. In a few weeks, it can still spark her curiosity. It was like, what What was it that I saw? Or she's talking to yeah. her friend and she's like, well, I saw this thing. And I mean, un- unfortunately, there is a fascination with things that are scary. I mean, you think about a scary movie, you're, you're getting startled and, and there's adrenaline that comes mm. with being scared. And that adrenaline, unfortunately, can cause you to seek it out again. Mm. And so we have little kids who scarred at first or even maybe not at first and so they will continue to be curious and find ways to go back to whatever they were exposed to and that's where the problem arises and this this particular grandmother was so good Mm. was so good with her grandchild she she sat down with her and she said honey um we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk to your dad your your parents and she sat down and talked to her for a little bit and and she took her down and she went down to um, her dad. And I have, and, and, you know, from what I, she tells me that most of all her, her, her father was horrified mm. at himself. Okay. Yeah. He wasn't mad at his daughter. Mm. He was, he was mad most of all 
at himself for not protecting yes. his daughter. And he felt so bad mm-hmm. that he just left this, this window open of opportunity. And he should, he should have known. And I think, um, how, how often do you hear often from people out there, parents maybe, do you hear, oh, never my child. All the time. Never, my child would never do this. Mm-hmm. So, so you might be giving your message at a school or something and you, people coming up to you say, never, no, Kelsey, not, my, not in my family, not in a lifetime. And there's still pushback. I think if you, if you encounter someone and they if, oh, a woman's gonna come in and talk to the women about pornography or masturbation, yeah. There is pushback. Well, from the parents, I think is the number mm-hmm. one pushback. Yeah. Well, that that's why is that needed? Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to expose them to something unnecessarily. Right. And obviously, you know, I will <laughs> censor myself appropriately depending on the age group. But I, they, our young people are exposed to so much more than than parents truly realize. And I think I was talking to a mom just the other day. She messaged me on Instagram. And that's kind of where I do most of my ministry because people can kind of be a little bit anonymous and share with me their story and okay. get the help they need. And so this mom just shared with me that, you know, her 19-year-old daughter came home for Christmas break and it was revealed that she was posting pictures of mm. herself online, unclothed. And, you know, she came from a very wholesome Catholic homeschool family. I mean, very, you know, protected, if you will, from the outside. And I just shared with her, you know, a lot of questions that they should ask. You know, instead of just, you know, getting getting upset and, and reading her the riot act, you know, ask her some of these questions. And I said, to be completely honest, she most likely had no idea it was wrong. And I know that sounds crazy, right? You listen to this and you're like posting pictures of yourselves naked online. Of course that's wrong. But unfortunately, we're told sex before marriage, you know, fornication, all these things are wrong. But as a woman, I was never told the pornography was wrong because that talk was given to men. I was never really taught about a lot of the things leading up to sex and, and what how to deal with those in our world and our culture. A lot of that stuff was just kind of left out because I think of a fear of exposing me too soon. But then when it happened was I was exposed to it from my peer group. And then, you know, you want to experiment or you're curious or you hear about it from them and you think, well, then I never heard about it from the church. So it must be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you, it's a very dangerous road. And so I shared with her a few questions and told her this. And she came back a few days later said, you know, we asked the questions and you were 100% right. She literally said she had no idea that this was wrong, that she knew that she shouldn't be having sex, mm. but that that she thought she was completely okay doing this because no one was getting hurt, right? She wasn't actively participating sexually with these people. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, with, with sexual sin, a lot of people um, do think that... Uh, that is not harmful to anybody else, that I'm not harming anybody else, that I, this is something that is done in the quiet, in the darkness of my own room. Yes. And that basically, I'm basically, and again, I'm not hurting myself. Well, I... Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I justified that for years. Yeah. It, it is hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. And actually like the, the way that I try and explain to, to young people when, it, when in talking about sin, most of all, it's like, okay, there's no such thing as as like a personal sin that doesn't affect other people. Mm-hmm. Okay, when I explain to them, okay, like what we do personally, 
does have an effect on other people. You know, you talk about families, you know, parents know this when, when I, when I sinned against my parents and messed up when I was a kid, it affected <laughs> everybody in my family. <laughs> you know, when I messed up, I messed up. Right. And, and it hurt, mm-hmm. you know, one experience, uh, you know, that I had, you know, growing up is I remember, um, you know, coming home from school and my mom was uh, cleaning my room and she was vacuuming and all of a sudden clang, 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 clang. Oh, she found bottles in my room. <laughs> okay. And she had those bottles. When I walked in the door, she had those bottles lined up on the table. Okay. You know, and she said, give me your keys. Yeah. Give me your keys. And that just didn't affect me, but it affected everybody. You know, it hurt my mom to have to do that. Right. And to take away, you know, my car and, and to, and I was humiliating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew what I, I knew that I did wrong. Right. I knew that, that sin, you know, at a, I was 17 or 18 when that happened. I knew that it, that it introduced, you know, something into my life um, that, uh, in other words, the, what was done in, in silence and darkness was brought out in, into the light. It needed to be brought out into the light, right? Right, in order yep. to heal. But on the other hand, I always like to include to young people that that okay, we talk about sin affecting and creating chaos, and 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 how sin's not just personal. That holiness as well. Holiness is not just personal, but holiness affects the whole body of Christ. Mm. So when we strive to for virtue. We strive for holiness and we say no to sin and yes to God. That is not just about me. That is not just building my virtue up, but it's helping heal the body of Christ. I think in the culture that we live in today, we need to have that type of mindset. That it's not just, I'm not just doing this for me. Yes. Sure, you're doing it for you. That That's one little onion peel, <laughs> one little part. But... Why not, why not look at it? I want to be pure. I want to be pure for the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. I want to contribute to healing for a culture. I, I talk a lot about the concept that of freedom. Sense. 100%. I think everything you're saying makes sense. I, I think what you're sharing with me, you're talking about holiness. And I, I also see this idea of authentic freedom, living from a place of full freedom. And how that can transform not only yourself, but everyone you touch. Mm. If you think about someone who's, who's holy and pure or just living from that life of Christ, it, it is kinetic. You, you, you want it for yourself. You see it and it just sparks and it brings joy to every room and, and, and place mm. that they are. And I think to try and live from that place. But first and foremost, it does transform us to live from freedom. I know when I was first acknowledging that I had an addiction, that justification of I'm not hurting anyone or I'm not even hurting myself was very strong inside of me. I justified a lot of my actions and I thought really the church had it wrong. You know, the churches in the catechism, it teaches very clearly that pornography is wrong, that masturbation is wrong. These things are against the church and and because you're putting them before God. And I thought, okay, I don't know if that's true because I'm doing this as my own choice. I'm choosing to do this as, you know, an action and I'm not addicted. I I did not believe I was addicted. So I decided to put it to the test and I decided to give up, you know, engaging in these behaviors. And at the time I I 
didn't even realize I was watching pornography. I was because it was I was on YouTube and that's not mm. X rated content. Oh, no. So I'm totally fine. No way. Nothing um, on YouTube is bad. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> so again, justifying everything. I, I had no idea for years later to, that I was actually exposed and, and engaging in that. But gave up masturbation and I it took me a week, two weeks, totally easy. But it was that third week when it started to consume my thoughts and it started to change my behavior in terms of okay, I have an opportunity here to be home alone. Why is that the first thing that's coming to my mind? It it shifted how I looked at friendships and relationships in general, the mm. men in my life. And I realized how much I had been a slave to this habit, that mm. I was not in control, that it was in control of me, that I had been putting it before my relationship with God because it was driving my, my thoughts and my actions. And that was the first time I confessed it to a priest because up until that point, that was maybe eight years into my addiction. I had thought I was choosing it with my own free will, that it was not wrong. No one had told me it was wrong and whatever excuse or justification I had. And it wasn't until that point that I'd learned I have an addiction and I need mm. to be rid of this. And that's when it opened my eyes to not only how it was hurting myself, but all of my relationships mm. and all of the people around me. And talk about that. What was what it was like for you to uh, confess that I think in your book, obviously I know because I read your book. Um, uh, talk about that in turn also with, with young people and the importance of being uh, transparent and also uh, being honest and clear in their confession and not trying to dance around um, this shameful sin, you know, how would you how would you tell a young person that they should confess this sin when they come to confession? I think there's just so much power in naming it because mm -hmm. the evil one wants to think that we're alone and that we're isolated in this and that we can't tell anyone. And if he can keep us in that spot, in that in his mind, that sweet spot, he he can keep us from the Lord forever. I mean, that that will forever drive a wall between any type of true intimacy we can have with our Lord. Mm -hmm. And so the way we combat that is we name it, we bring it to the light, we expose it. And it, it, the evil one has no power in that moment. And so when you come to confession, I mean, if you say, you know, Father, you know, I'm so sorry for my sins, bless me. Uh, I'm sorry for my personal impurity. The Lord does know what you're trying to bring. And, right. and, it, and it is still a, a, a confession, a true confession. Right. But I got to tell you, if you go in there and you say, Father, I watched masturbation three times last week. I masturbated yesterday, whatever, you know, one time. If you use the words, there is, is like this air that is released in the room. And it's like the devil is just punched in the face is the way I like to share it. It is just, it is taking back the control of I'm going to name this. I'm going to bring it to the light. I'm going to expose it. I'm not alone. And, and Jesus take this from me and, and you can finally fully bring it to him and he is going to take it from you immediately grab it run as fast as he can away um, because he truly wants you to be healed and he wants you to feel that freedom and that lightness that you deserve and we're coming to the cross i always like to when i'm in, in confession to when i'm going to confession or when i'm hearing confessions we're we're at you know calvary mm. you know we're at the moment of um when our Lord is being mocked and crucified um, and uh, where the, the fruits of the redemption are, are born. And, uh, you know, our sin put him there. 
-hmm. But at the same time, he's looking down at us, Kelsey, with love. I mean, what must it have been like for him to look down at his mother? And and St. John, I mean, he looked down, he's looking down at us with love, uh, with mercy and forgiveness, and he wants us to be uh, free from this. He doesn't want us to be enslaved um, in this sin. And this is not just the sin of uh, pornography and masturbation, but we can go, this is any sin, even venial sin, even little sins. <laughs> You know, uh, St. Aloysius Gonzaga said that he would rather uh, die than to commit even the smallest venial sin. Right. I remember reading that. I'm like, I wish I felt that way. 100%. Mm -hmm. If I, I mean, any sin is an offense against God. Um, but there are sins, as St. John says, that there are sins that are more grave, mortal sins, um, that actually wound uh, you know, not just um, you know uh, sins that uh, you know it's, it's kind of like looking at a tree right and, and um, somebody could go up with a hammer to a tree and, and hit the tree and like bark start to fall off of it it's not damaging the tree but it's wounding it mm -hmm. there's some sins that they might wound us but there's some sins it's like Max. It's like cutting down the like the tree with a chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> like but but what the Lord can do is like like he's the true vine. You know, we're we're the we're the branches, he's the vine. He can graft us back on, can he? Mm -hmm. Even though we cut ourselves off by sin, he can graft us back on the vine. And that the the, the life giving sap. The catechism says that runs through the church, through Christ, through the vine, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings about um, renewal and life within us. I love that. Yeah. What would you, um, any other tips that might, you might give to priests? Maybe, you know, if priests come to you and they, you said that they come to you mm -hmm. and, and ask you for some advice. What are typical questions that they might come to you with? Yeah, I've had a few priests. I mean, one, if I'm giving a talk a lot of times at a big conference or things like that, they'll say, hey, is it okay if I come in the back? I know it's women only, whatever. And if it's a big enough room, I 100% want them to come and, and listen because they are, they are interested to hear from a woman's perspective because as we know, and as I know, this is not just a male issue, but they know it so much more because they're in the confessional hearing it day after day from women after woman coming to them with these these struggles. And so to give give some advice and thoughts, I think the, the biggest thing that I share with priests is to not just avoid it. I think, you know, a young woman comes to the confessional or older woman, a woman, <laughs> comes to the confessional and shares this. And a lot of times she's mortified. She's yeah. so ashamed. And so she is gonna, you know, throw it out there, fly by, whatever she says. I struggle with prison impurity or maybe mumble pornography under her breath or whatever it is. And so there is a temptation, I think, to, okay, she's already ashamed about this. I don't want to expose her further or make her more embarrassed further. And so usually the priest will talk about one of the other sins that they've mentioned in their confession. And, and while I, I, I can appreciate that, that happened to me for years. Yes. But instead of keeping me less embarrassed, what it did is it made me think, oh my, he's also so embarrassed by this sin. 
and isn't willing or, or feeling capable to talk about it, like that must be how few women struggle with this or how embarrassing this truly is. It almost just magnified my, my, my shame. And so what I, what I try and encourage priests to do is to, to make sure they mention it and they don't, I mean, to do it delicately, mm -hmm. it, is, it is a sensitive topic and mm -hmm. it can be a quick, quick as, Hey, I know you mentioned personal impurity. Um, this is something that a lot of women struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, are you, are you specifically talking about pornography or masturbation? You can ask that question. And if they, you know, shyly say yes or no, and if they say no, say, okay, no worries. I just, that is something that a lot of women struggle with. So I just wanted to make sure, so I can give you the best direction and support mm. um, to make sure I know what we're talking about. That can be a very quick conversation. It opens up a door, even for them, if maybe even if they're, in, if in a, another priest friend of mine um, gave me this advice uh, and he used, and, and it works, it really does work when, sometimes when you don't hear anything said at all mm -hmm. and, and just to bring it up um in a delicate way so so how's your how, how's your um the, the way you look at social media mm. you know, how, how's the way you look at social media do you look at anything that's inappropriate yes that's a great way to talk about it and and it it, it really does it's a way to to broach the topic and and they say actually i don't look at i look at things that are pretty bad Mm. you know okay okay has that led to impurity with yourself yet yeah, yes father okay i know what you're talking about so that might be the first time yep a young person actually said something mm -hmm. in, in the confessional so it's a it's a it's a it's a start yes and that's it's what you start. want to do is, is start, start planting the seeds but i think by saying <clears throat> the words Again, naming it for mm -hmm. whatever reason releases the power yes, of agree. those topics. And, and you know, and, and like I shared in, in very simply, just saying, because so many women struggle with this, I wanted to make sure. And if you continue to emphasize that, if that is something they're struggling with, but maybe not willing to share right then and there, maybe the next time they will be. Yes. But then, but then you know, obviously don't emphasize the entire confession about this. And I know, you know, confession, you don't even have to say anything. Like you said, you can just <laughs> move on to the absolution. But I think, especially for women, because this is talked about so little, mm -hmm. to have a moment just to address it, tell them that they are loved, that Jesus loves them, that he wants their, their healing and, and that they deserve to be healed. They deserve to be free of this. Mm. I mean, it'll be the first time they've ever heard those, those things, unfortunately. Mm. And, and, and Jesus is crying out to them to, for them to hear him. So I think that would be my greatest advice is to not avoid it, but to find a natural and sensitive way to address these topics. Because we're made for love, right? Mm -hmm. We're made for love. We yearn for love. I mean, I think in a distorted way, that's, that's what a person who is seeking out and using masturbation, using pornography and falling into masturbation in a, in a distorted way they are searching for love. Yes, they are. They are. They 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 want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to, relationship. Yeah, they want unity. They want that, you know. But and, and so in, I think in in the confession, a, a priest can say to them, you know, God love you know, you know, the Lord loves you, and and He wants to heal you, and He wants to free you, and He wants you to to feel wanted and accepted and all these, all these things. Um, and you can ask them that, right? Do you yeah. feel loved? Do, Do you, you feel accepted? That, that's a good point. 
that's a good point. We can say, we could, a, a priest can say to them, you know, do, do, how does this make you feel? Does it make you feel loved? And I think, yeah, I mean, obviously the answer is going to be no. Mm-hmm. But even asking them, like, yeah. do you feel loved by Jesus? Okay. They might even say no there. And so, I mean, really and, the and issue that, is... And that might, be, that might be a good dialogue question. Right. I mean, what, I, what we shared in Life on the Rock, too, just going back to where was Jesus in your first exposure? Mm. I mean, maybe that's more for spiritual direction than mm. in a confessional. It's probably a longer conversation. Yeah. But breaking down any barrier that they have in their minds that Jesus and this struggle are not one of the same, that, that Jesus either isn't a part of it, doesn't know about it, can't know about it, is ashamed of me. Um, I think that's what I felt as a woman, just that, like, oh my gosh, how could Jesus love me when I have this sin? Mm-hmm. And so to, as long as, as many times as you can affirm those truths, the better. Kelsey, thank you so much. Uh, we could go on uh, <laughs> for another hour just chatting, chatting about um, just healing and God's mercy and forgiveness. So thank you so much for coming to Alabama and sharing your talents and your gift and your passion with us for healing and hope. Yeah, thanks so much for having um, me. God bless you. God bless you.